Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. Let's read together this morning, Mark chapter 10, verse number 35 through verse number 45. The question I want to ask you here <clears throat> as we read is what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple? Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And at that point, someone should have smacked the Hong Kong fooey out of them. Verse 36. And then he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant that to us we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, We are able. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism that I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to give, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. And Jesus called them to himself and he said to them, Hear these words. You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. Hear this. Yet it shall not be so among you. Whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever desires to be first shall be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Our great God, as your people, you have overwhelmed us with grace. You have overwhelmed us with mercy and kindness. God, you sought us when we ran. You loved us when we rebelled. You captured us when we were far off. You have called us to be your sons and your daughters that we may delight in you, that we may have in you life that we were made for. You've given us the high privilege of following you. Help us, Lord, to be conformed to your image. Help us, Lord, to understand what it means to be a disciple. We love you, and we give ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So what exactly does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Does it mean that you sign up for some study somewhere and get a workbook and proceed through the curriculum? Does it mean that you attend a particular class somewhere? We can think of all sorts of things about what it means to be a disciple. 
But in this passage of Scripture, Jesus confronts his disciples with the reality of what it will look like to follow after him. You know, it's been 2,000 years since he said these words and since he did these things. And in one sense, everything has changed. Think about the world, how it's different today than it would have been back then. And then in another sense, things are exactly as they have always been at least so far as it goes with us. That is to say, human beings today are as human beings were back then. People today are as people were back then. That is to say, we're motivated by the same things, we desire the same types of things, we pursue the same types of things, we orient our lives in the same types of ways, we get ourselves all worked up and about certain types of things in precisely the same ways that they did back then. But here's the problem. When we look at how they were here in this passage of Scripture, and we look into the Gospels and we see the portrait of ourselves, what we see is a picture that, frankly, if we can be honest together for just a few moments, is rather ugly. The disciples in this moment portray themselves and put the very worst version of themselves forward. And Jesus has to, notice how gracious and how kind and how gentle he is in doing it. But notice how Jesus has to confront everything about the way they think about following him. What does it mean to be a disciple? And we get very clear pictures in this passage of scripture what they thought this was actually all about. And here's where the similarities come in. When we look at ourselves today, we have the same tendencies. So what does it mean to be a disciple? Well, let me just draw out three principles about what it means to be a disciple from the text here this morning. First of all, note with me, if you will, verse number 35 through verse number 38. Discipleship is about submission. It is not about personal gain. Discipleship is about submission. It is not about personal gain. As we see here with James and John, and then as we'll see a little bit later in verse number 41, when the ten, the rest of them, come to it, they have this idea that to be a follower of Jesus entails for them all sorts of lavish things. To be a disciple of Jesus entails within it to have poshness and, and personal gain and status and position and all of those things. And Jesus drops a bombshell on them. And reminds them here that discipleship is not about any of those things at all. Can you imagine the unthinkable scenario that Jesus finds himself in here? The Lord himself, the one who creates heaven and earth with a simple word, and he sits with his disciples, and all they can think about is which one of them is going to rank the highest. Again, the picture of them then and the picture of us today is strikingly similar. We care very deeply, don't we? We care so very, very deeply about how we are esteemed. We care so very, very deeply about where we sit. We care so very deeply about what people call us. We care so very, very deeply about all of those things. And Jesus says, no. It's not about any of those things. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, evidently they were quick-tempered. In addition to having a, a quick temper, they're idiots. They are flat-out categorical idiots. 
Because they come to Jesus, and as I said a minute ago when I was reading the text, they come to Jesus, and can you imagine the audacity of this moment? The Lord himself, they say to him, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. You see, they're getting down to the brass tacks, aren't they? They're getting down to the nitty-gritty of what in their heart and in their mind this is actually all about. Jesus, you're here for me, right? You're here to promote me, right? You're here to put me forward. You're here to advance my cause, aren't you? So now, Lord, now that we've gotten that straight, let me just ask. We want you to do for us whatever it is that we ask. How unimaginably stupid. You know what strikes me about this? Look back, verse 32 through verse 34. I don't know if you have the headings in your Bible, but the heading in my Bible says this. Jesus, a third time, predicts his death and resurrection. You know what Jesus has just been talking about? Jesus has just been talking about how he, the Lord Christ, will ultimately be crucified. He will die. He will be buried, but God will raise him up. That's pretty bad news if you're a disciple. That's pretty life-changing news, especially when you've hitched your wagon to him, especially if you love him. You would think in this moment that the disciples would have just an ounce of care about that. But in the context of Jesus announcing what he's up to as he unfolds the eschatological kingdom, as he's laying that out for them, all the disciples can think about is their own status. Again, the picture between them and us is so sadly and so strikingly similar. As God is at work through us to unfold His kingdom, to bring redemption to the nations, often all we can think about is our own name and our own positions and our own status. And Jesus says, no. It is not about those things. It is not about how high you sit. It is not about what titles you hold. It is not about what people think about you. It is about Christ. Imagine this. Jesus demands from his disciples complete and total obedience and surrender. And yet in this moment, all the disciples can think about It's their own status. It breaks my heart. Because 24 years of walking with Christ, I look back on so many of those years and I see the years that I walked and I lived and I failed to fully capitalize on the life that is available to me in Jesus Christ by renouncing myself. But all I could think about was myself. Discipleship is not about my own personal gain. It is about submission. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says to us. Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20. Listen to these words. I have been crucified with Christ. To be a disciple is about laying your life down. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. This isn't about me anymore. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
The Apostle Paul would later say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 through verse number 15, listen to this. For the love of Christ compels us, it thrusts us forward, because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all of us have died. And he did die for all of us, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who loved us and gave himself for us. Discipleship is not about our status or our gain. It is about submission to Christ, number one. Number two, discipleship is about death and sacrifice, not comfort and ease. Hear us. Hear this. Discipleship is about death and sacrifice, not comfort and ease. Notice what Jesus says, verse 38 Jesus said to them, after they've just made this heinous request, this idiotic, selfish request, Jesus looks at them in verse 38 and he says, you don't know what you're asking for. You want to be my disciple? You want to come after me? You don't know what you ask. And then he asks them this question. His rebuke comes in the form of questions. Question. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? A symbolic reference forward. Jesus would pray in the Garden of Gethsemane as he faces being arrested, as he faces going to trial, as he faces being beaten and flogged and crucified and speared in the side, as he faces separation from the Father. There in those moments in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus would pray, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. A suffering that would come that would be almost impossible to bear up under. And Jesus now asks James and John, are you able to drink that cup with me? Are you able to suffer? To be my disciple is not about comfort and ease. It is about sacrifice. It is about death to myself. Are you able to drink of that cup? Then he says, ask the question, are you able to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? A symbol of his own death. When baptism, when we enter into those waters and we baptize a person, what we are symbolically suggesting, this is why we don't just sprinkle them with water. The dunking part is important because it proclaims, it preaches that Christ himself was crucified, he was dead, he was buried, and that God raised him up. Jesus now asks the question, are you too able to be baptized with my baptism? A reference to his death. Are you, James and John, are you able to be dead? Are you able to die with me, to be a disciple? This is what Jesus is wanting them to see. To be a disciple is to give your life as a sacrifice to the Lord. It's not about my comfort and my ease. And yet so often, isn't that how we pray? In fact, so often isn't the only thing we will pray for are those things that will make our life more comfortable and easy. It is not about that. In fact, we get frustrated, don't we? When he doesn't answer the prayers accordingly. Because, you know, God, I'm not comfortable. Life's not easy. So pray, 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 pray. And nothing happens. And then we get frustrated. We get mad at God. And we do all of those types of things. It is not about us. It's not about those things. Jesus says, are you able to drink the cup? Are you able to be baptized? Now watch what they say. Verse 39, we're able. Yes, Lord, we can do it. And now verse 39 and verse number 40, 
Jesus prophetically predicts what will come to them. You will indeed drink of the cup that I drink and you will be baptized as I am baptized. You will suffer. You will die. Indeed, discipleship is about those things. Jesus would say to his disciples this. Jesus would say this to you and he would say this to me. Listen to this. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 through 25. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Do you hear that? You want to follow Jesus? It is about denying yourself. That's what this life is about. It's not about your comfort and your ease. It's about me saying, you know what, I wanted to do this, but God said no. I, it probably sounds a little self-righteous. I didn't want to go be a president. Well, sorry, I didn't want to go be a president. I wanted to be here with you. And if I could have written the rest of my story, the rest of my life, it would have been right here in this place doing exactly what I was doing, live it out, die one day, and I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a graveyard that Southeastern has, and I wanted to be buried there. That sounded like the best story in the world. But God disrupts us. And He has the right to disrupt us. Because this is not about me. And it is not about you. It is about Christ and His kingdom. And so we must go. Jesus would say this in Luke chapter 9, verse 58. Jesus said to them, foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, you want to follow me? This is what it's going to look like. It's not going to be easy. It might not even be fun. But what we see as we walk with Christ, while there is indeed a sacrifice and a death, there is life in it. Jesus would say, whosoever will try to hang on to his life will lose it, but whosoever will lay down his life will find it. He will pick it up. In other words, it, it's a strange thing in the way God works in God's economy. It's different from the world, right? In the world, you want the best, you want happiness, you want joy, you want all these things. Work yourself to the nub for something that actually won't ever satisfy you. But as a disciple of Christ, we do the opposite. We lay it down. We take up a life that in the eyes of the world looks foolish and reckless and maybe even wasted. And yet, there in those places, Christ meets us right there and He satisfies our souls in ways that we could have never imagined there is a life in it. Paul said it this way, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through 11. Understand the first six verses. He lays out his resume of who he is. All that he's accomplished all that he has, all that he was. But then in verse 7, he said this, listen to this. But whatever things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I count, all, I count also all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ my Lord. In other words, I would rather not have any of that stuff and just know Christ. That's better. He says, I counted all loss, excellence for the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And to be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, a righteousness which is from God by faith. And that I might know Him the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings, and that I would be conformed to His death. 
In other words, what Paul is saying to us is, listen, I've had the best of the best of the best of the best that the world has to offer, and I'm telling you, death with Christ is better. You want life? Die. And find it in Christ. Discipleship is about death and sacrifice. It is not about ease and comfort. Thirdly and finally, and boy, oh boy, is this a major point that Jesus wants to make with the disciples. So listen up. Discipleship is about servanthood, not lordship. Discipleship is about servanthood, not lordship. Again, our default dispositions, it's what we all have to fight. The disciples had to fight it. We have to fight it. And by the way, you'll have to forever fight it for the rest of your life. Our default position is to elevate ourselves. We somehow very foolishly think that the only way we can be happy or joyful is to, for us to be elevated. And then methodologically, the way we try to elevate ourselves is to tear other people down. To put people under our thumb. To one-up everybody. And Jesus, again, says no. Verse 41. And then the ten heard it. Listen to this. And when they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. In other words, they didn't like the fact that they asked for that. Well, yeah, they shouldn't have liked that. But here's the problem. They weren't upset with James and John for the right reasons. They weren't upset with the audacity that they would ever ask Jesus for that kind of thing. They were upset that James and John had beaten them to the punch. They were upset that they had gotten in front of the other ten and beat them to the ask because they wanted the same thing. So in other words, what you need to see here is that this is epidemic. This isn't just isolated to one or two brothers. It was across the board for the disciples. What they cared about was their own status and their own position. And So Jesus says, come here. And he sits the, the twelve down and he says to them, Listen to this. You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, stop right there. He's pointing to a lost pagan world, the Gentiles. He's saying amongst lost people, amongst the pagans, amongst people that don't know God, amongst people that have never tasted the sweetness of redemption in me, amongst everybody else outside, that's who he's talking about. Amongst them, those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, they lord it over. In other words, the way lost people act. Hear that again, please. The way lost people act and behave is they put themselves in leadership and then they act like lords and masters. You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Verse 43. And here's the point that he wants to make. And yet, hear these words, yet it shall not be so among you. It has to be different with us. It has to be different with God's children. It has to be different with the disciples. It has to be different for the Christian. It shall not be so among you. We're supposed to do this differently. And what is that difference? Again, Jesus flips the whole world upside down here. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first, let him be a slave to all. There, 
there's this just fantastic dynamic to reality, hardwired into the structure of the universe. God hates the proud and He loves the humble. He thinks that the proud are repugnant, ugly, stenchy, nasty, and He thinks the humble are beautiful. And as such, here is a promise. God takes the humble and He lifts them up. And God takes the proud and He brings them down. You want to crash? You want to burn? And by the way, we either believe this or we don't, right? You want to crash and burn? Puff up. You want to crash and burn? Step on somebody else to put yourself up. God hates the proud, but He loves the humble. Jesus says, it shall not be so among you. It shall not be so among you. It shall not be so among you. Whoever desires to be great. You want to be great? You want, you want to do something different? You want to do something that lasts? You want to do something that makes a different? Be a servant. Be a servant. The Apostle Paul would say it this way in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, there's the great Christological passage where we learn about the deity of Christ and the humility of Christ and we nerd out on all the details about kenosis and how he lowers himself. The point of the passage is that you and I are supposed to do the same thing. He just said to them in Philippians, we are to look after the interests of other people before we look after the interests of ourselves. We are to think more of others than we are to think of ourselves. And to illustrate the point, he says, look at Jesus, who, though he is God, humbles himself by coming in the flesh, making himself a servant, and submitting himself even to death, death on the cross. And then he says, here's the point, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, that is the way I'm supposed to think. That's the way I'm supposed to orient. That's the way I'm supposed to build. That's the way I'm supposed to go about everything. It's to make myself lower and lift up others. Isn't it the antithesis of what the world does? The world, to try so desperately to find significance and hope, we try to elevate ourselves, and the only way we know to do that is to tear other people down in the process. And Christ says, no, flip it around. Do the opposite. Lift up others. Lift up others. Here's a posture for us to take. You ever seen a group of people trying to scale a big wall with no ladder? There's always that one guy or one gal that goes down to the base of the wall, puts their hands together like this, and gets down on one knee and says, here, come on. That's the posture of a servant. To help others go up. To help others become what Christ made them to be. To help others find life in Christ and to help them and to serve them in that process. That's what it means to be a disciple. So as we close here, a couple questions. Do you follow Christ for what's in it for you? Is that why you're here? Is that why you signed up? Because you want to climb? That is not being a disciple. Or are you here because you really want to give yourself for the, to the life of Christ? Secondly, do you expect it to be comfortable and easy? And are you only going to do those things that are comfortable and easy because that's what you want? Or are you prepared to lay down your life? The very appetites and desires that I have and say, no, Christ, yours. 
And do you take the posture of a servant? This is what it means to be a disciple. Father, make it so in our life. Make it so in our life. Let it not be so among us. Conform us to the image of your Son. Help us to be like Christ, not just in the words that we preach because we want to get our theology right. But may we be like Christ in the way that we live, the work of our hands, the words of our mouth. Father in everything, may we be like you. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.